Are you curious about what it takes to build a group practice? Or maybe you're already a few practices in and you want to learn what you need to do to ensure your success. Make a point to join us in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th through April 1st for our pinnacle event called Scaling from Clinician to CEO. This event is built to bring you the in-depth educational resources to help you create success at this next phase of your journey. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the event itself and to see an overview of the agenda. We're limiting the event to 75 people and we expect it to sell out. So please register soon. We hope to see you in Fort Lauderdale on March 30th for Scaling from Clinician to CEO. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to season two, episode number five of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. This is one we're calling how to avoid multiple practices and multiple lenders. Yet another banking discussion that we see far too often that hamstrings the growth prospects of many of our core clients and potential clients out there. This will be an episode you definitely want to take some notes on. You might need some caffeine, so brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee and get ready. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome once again, everybody, to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. And as I teased in the introduction, it's another banking topic today, how to avoid multiple practices and multiple lenders. And I brought on behind the mic, the doctor of debt. That's right. My partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody? Uh, Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. So this, DeWalker, is a scenario that uh, we see with alarming regularity, and that is... A, an entrepreneurial dentist is uh, going to own multiple practices, three or four or five. And when we start working with them and we look at their debt schedules, we realize that the first couple of locations are funded by bank number one, and the second couple of locations are funded by bank number two. And maybe they've got even a few more locations that are funded by number three or an SBA loan or something along those lines. And this mishmash of cross-collateralization and subordinated debt um, is uh, carries with it an increase in cost, uh, increase in complexity, and obviously a lot of compliance issues to boot. And it is not ideal. It's not reliable uh, in terms of funding growth. Um, and it's not a, 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 a relationship with a lender that has much clarity at all due to the complexity of everybody um, having having debt structures on different businesses. So let's take a second, maybe tee it up 
from the top, from your lens, on what happens when you do have multiple practices and multiple lenders. You want to take the first pass at that one? Uh, sure. I mean, let me kind of, let's go through how this probably happens in the first place. Um, and, and it's very common, and I can um, understand you know how people can kind of get into this position. You know what most people do is you know buy their first practice, go to their local bank or one of the top ten banks that has a, a healthcare practice finance group, and they'll go to them uh, for their first practice. That could have been a de novo, could have been an acquisition, uh, could have been a partnership buy-in, um, and that lender. Uh, did a really good job as far as delivering the ask. Uh, and I think traditionally the ask from a a borrower's lens or a, pr- a practitioner's lens on the first first product is I, I just need the loan to buy this practice or start my practice or buy into this partnership. I want the the the, the longest term and the lowest rate. Um, and all the, those all these banks do. I mean, I think it's a fairly good job and. It's a fairly commoditized process, and um, um, and I think people do that in the first practice. They might go to the the same bank for practice number two, and and the, the same bank may do practice number two. And then as people go to practice number three, start adding real estate exposure, or go to practice number four, um, they tend to see that bank number one's not there. Bank number two is doing practice number three. Bank number three is doing practice number four, um, and. All these things happen to be with multiple practices, multiple lenders, and they're all cross-collateralized. And I don't think that's in the best interest of the banks to have their interests cross-collateralized. And I don't think uh, uh, the the cash flow structure or the risk structure allows you know the the client that has gone to multiple banks to continue to grow, because at some point when you go to middle market or want to go to middle market. That middle market institutions going to want a holistic approach to the transaction, meaning they're going to want to have a complete relationship in the process. They're not going to want to do split off transactions. Now, let me rephrase that. There are middle market companies that do subordinated debt, and there's a place for that. Uh, and you have to understand the pricing structure, the risk structures. You have to get subordination agreements from your primary lender. So you don't get into a potential default situation. There's different things to consider in that variability. Uh, but you know, get going to multiple lenders for multiple practices uh, by no means is not the right solutions. Uh, by any means, is not the right solution. And more importantly, uh, you're more than likely unknowingly creating a default situation from the lender's position because most loan agreements. Um, and most banks tend to use you know, one of the other formats, one of the formats called Laser Pro, um, which is you know, widely used in the lending industry, um, will have a default clause and a cross-collateral clause that you're not going to encumber their asset or their collateral with another institution. And if you do end up cross-collateralizing their asset you know, uh, or encumber their asset through a secondary UCC filing, which is a commercial lien filing that banks do, but then... You know, they may or may not, may not enforce it, but you may be indirectly in a position of default. Um, and that's not good for the bank, right? So I want to look at this from both lenses. I want to look at this from, from a lens of a doctor, borrower, practitioner, uh, and also from a, a lens from a bank that, you know, knowingly and definitely unknowingly, a bank does not want to be 
in a position of cross-collateralization on their asset and have their asset encumbered. And matter of fact, when you started getting into um, middle market banking, you know, and, and some banks that do structure deals, you know, very well do add uh, a, a covenant it's called a negative debt covenant, which is even beyond a cross-collateral position, which I think is very responsible for the bank's position. So by any means, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And the negative debt covenant, basically, to, to paraphrase this, says, you know, doctor desports cannot go encumber another business debt without our consent. So before you even can go get a collateralization or encumber the, the get another loan for another practice, you have to get the consent from the bank. Um, and again, I want to state this. I'm actually for that covenant. But I think if you are with the right bank, with the right institution, that one statement should not be an issue. Um, so anyway, so that's that's getting into multiple practices and multiple lenders. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a point of jeopardy that a lot of people have already stepped on uh, the the third rail, so to speak, and aren't even aware of it. You know, and who the, I guess the likelihood of the primary lender, you know, calling in the loan or, or anything like that is, I guess, it would in theory, it'd be pretty remote as long as you're continuing to pay on it. But it it doesn't mean that you're in good standing, and it's it's taking on it's a dangerous way to live unnecessarily, especially if you're going to continue to use debt funds to to grow your business and debt funds at this stage are the right solution for it. So I think the key here is is understanding um, you know the relationship with the lender, how far they'll go, getting clarity on that, understanding how they make decisions, understanding your covenant structure and your cost of compliance and staying within those bounds. And really getting uh, in place with the right lender who will uh, see your vision through and and taking care of that relationship. If done correctly, it's a beautiful relationship that has tremendous upside in terms of total volume. Lower middle market lending, wouldn't you say, goes to about twenty five million, and middle markets maybe fifty million and up or so. So I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of debt volume to access, and and that's a a huge business to build with it. So if done correctly, this ought to be a set it and forget it type of a solution for a long, long time to come. So the the, the multiple practices and multiple lenders is not a necessity by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, l- let's talk about that concept real quick called cross-collateralization. Can you kind of dissect it and tell our audience, you know, what it actually means and and especially from the banking lens on why it's such a point of jeopardy? Yeah. So I think uh, in a classical lateralization, it, it's, it's, again, going back to earlier statements, I think it potentially puts you in a uh, default position, uh, but it also stops you from lending with any one lender. Um, and in a classical collateralization, just theoretically, what may happen is, you know, you go to practice number one, if the value of that is uh, a revenue is a million dollars, let's go back to our previous podcast is selling for 80% of revenue. The bank makes a loan to you for 80% of revenue for $800,000. And the bank will file a UCC filing on your business. Uh, and they are considered a first lien holder. It's no different than a mortgage. So when you go buy a house, a mortgage company files a lien uh, or a deed of trust on your house. And they're essentially the first lien holder on your house. 
Now, unique thing about the mortgage uh, uh, space is you can get a second mortgage, right? So you have home equity lines, home equity products that allow you to leverage uh, the equity in your house without having to touch your first mortgage position. You might not want to refinance it and go through that process. In the commercial space, you don't have that. You have this product called subordinate debt that typically happens in a in a different price point in the middle market space. But let's say if you went and got the first practice loan for eight hundred thousand, the bank follows the UCC lane. Let's say you go to practice number two, and practice number two, the bank you go to bank number two. So you went to you know bank of X for this loan and the bank of Y for this loan number two. Now the bank of Y will make a loan to the practice number two, whatever the parameters are for them, but they'll also file a blanket UCC filing, uh, which is going to collateralize not only their first business, but any other businesses that are referencing your name, which indirectly would put a lien on your first business. So the lender uh, for practice number two has less security on practice number one and has full security in practice number two. Now, their viewpoint, just to kind of be you know, somewhat on the bank side, is hey, we're lending on practice number two. Um, that is a higher risk because practice number one is your flagship practice, and practice number two is a higher risk. We need additional security. But what that does is puts lender number one, if they do an annual review of their portfolio, uh, that, hey, we have another lien outstanding that's encumbering our asset. Um, now you know we, we're not going to go down you know what happens in a in a foreclosure or bank default process and how banks you know uh, uh, realize their asset or the, uh, the amount they're owed, but it does put the bank in a very difficult position if they have a secondary lien position behind them. And you know we've seen institutions in a lawsuit with each other and institutions in a lawsuit suing the client over that. So. Um, and we've we've helped clients go through that process. It's probably not a preferred way where you want to be. Uh, it's very seldom that it does happen. But I think the main thing, the main theme takeaway from this 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 podcast would be, you know, you know, I understand the urge and the the ease of going to just another bank to get just another loan, uh, because that sometimes may seem easier. That banker may be more hungry to prove to you that they can do your transaction of practice number two or practice number nine. But I think uh, the the right thing and, and really the harder thing is to really l- review your entire holistic relationship with the bank, have a nice heart-to-heart with your current institution. And then from there, realize, you know, in writing, you know, get something in writing from them. Hey, is this going to be a partnership? Um, if bankers are telling you, we're with you, we have unlimited capital. We have ear. I think the words that are more often used than not that I hear bankers say in quote, and I'll quote this because I had several bankers say this. We have earmarked hundreds of millions of dollars for the healthcare space. We have earmarked our entire focus of 10, 20, $1 billion. And th- those are not, you know, I, I sincerely appreciate that somebody in the boardroom at a bank would have said, we want to grow the healthcare industry and add about a billion dollars in loan assets to the healthcare industry. But the key question, you know, for our podcast members is, uh, listeners is, how does that apply to you specifically, and what does it mean to you? Does that mean that the bank will put something in writing that says, "Hey, we'll give you a three million, five million dollar facility for growth," 
or it just is it just me in a verbal? Uh, because if you really read read through your loan documents, you know somewhere in most of the loan documents will say any oral verbal commitments prior to the execution of this document are null and void, right? And that you're acknowledging that. So I, I say that because you know I think what everybody needs to be start thinking about is the harder route, the right route. Um, you know, we're all trying to build, you know, our members are trying to build the right business. And building the right business is not easy. It's a lot of hard work. And one of those components is finding the right capital lender to get there. Uh, and that's finding one holistic solution out there. Um, you know, rates we know are rising over the next two to four years. I mean, I think the, the feds have announced some level of increase this year. Um, they're Actual execution on it could be argued either way, but I think there's a strong indication they will, they do plan to increase rates. Um, you know, so commercial treasuries are going up, primes going up over the next year. Are you with the right institution now? Uh, because if you switch in a year to two years, um, you will refinance. You will just be refinancing your entire loan portfolio at a higher rate. So I'm not trying to drive refinances out there um, uh, for, for people. Uh, what I'm trying to say is make sure you're the light, right lending institution now. You've had that conversation now. Um, and if in some time in 2022, uh, you discover you're not with the right institution because you can't get a written commitment in writing, then move your relationship to the bank that will. Yeah, that's that's really the key to end on, isn't it? That you know, with with the process, the likelihood that rates are going to be going up now is the time to reevaluate the relationship that you have with your lender or lenders. Get clarity in writing on how far they'll go, and just understand that if you're going to build a successful group practice with a reliable source of funds. Structure and commitment for the future matters far more than a point on the rate. You really want to have this be something that uh, that you can live with, um, that they have clarity on the business you're trying to build. And in writing, they've made some commitments to you that as long as you continue to operate the business within uh, the appropriate ratios and, and um, uh, financial aspects of compliance, that you're going to continue to have that availability of funds um, for the foreseeable future. And that's what you're looking for. It's not the, the lowest rate from the, the local municipal lender. It's a commitment and a structure that facilitates the growth of the business you intend to build. We really can't stress that enough. So, Walker, I really appreciate you joining me on the show once again today, because this is uh, these are heady topics that aren't easy to solve and they're not readily understood by a lot of our, our marketplace, understandably, um, but they're, they're solutions that do exist out there and hopefully we can uh, facilitate a number of those. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, my friend. So thanks, we thanks. will... <laughs> thanks, for... thanks for having me. You bet. I, I didn't really have a choice because I don't know much about this subject matter. Um, so if you do have questions about any of it, you want to reach out to me directly or DeWalker, you can reach us. Uh, DeWalker is DeWalker at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. And DeWalker is D-I-W-A-K-A-R. 
Or you can reach me directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com, P-E-R-R-I-N. Be happy to uh, take your questions on a one-off or potentially answer them on an upcoming show. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Welcome back, everyone. And once again, thanks so much to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the show today. He's such a wealth of information, and I know you all get a lot out of the time that he spends with us. And when it comes to banking, there's uh, arguably nobody better in in terms of growth strategy and growth funding than DeWalker. So um, there'll be more episodes forthcoming around that subject matter. Um, But thanks a a ton, uh, buddy, for joining me on the show today. So before we wrap up today's show, I wanted to talk uh, real quick about a couple of events we've got coming up. Um, we've got another masterclass on de novo execution that's going to be March 10th and 11th. And this masterclass format is something that we're incredibly excited about. And we've gotten rave reviews on. As a matter of fact, um, the uh, mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations masterclass on February 17th and 18th here in Charlotte, I think still has one seat left in it or possibly two. So depending on when you're listening to this, um, uh, feel free to reach out to us if you're interested in joining us, if you're growing through mergers and acquisitions. Um, But if you're interested in learning more about the DeNovo strategy, DeWalker and I are huge fans of the DeNovo concept. And we've been waiting a long time to pull together a dedicated format like a masterclass um, to, to talk about the benefits and how to execute on de novo strategy. A lot of people shy away from it because they're scared about their ability to attract patient number one. I get it. It's a cold, dark shell. You're opening it for the first time. If you build it, will they come um, versus an acquisition that has patients, revenue, EBITDA, staff, et cetera. Um, that being said, you know the culture integration piece and change management of an acquisition is not without its challenges. And those are two things that if you're a systems and a processes and a culture-driven type of a business, you know you get to do it your way, the right way, the first time in a de novo situation. And if you're interested in learning how to execute de novos at a higher level with greater consistency and repetition and at a faster rate, this is a two-day class for you. We really are going to go through everything from uh, identifying the right site selection uh, for the business with an enterprise software type of a group that has an analytical look to where you should uh, tend to focus for your um, customer, your patient type of avatar, Um, and then how to negotiate with your contractor, how to negotiate with your landlord, how to make sure that you're able to create a box to operate out of. Uh, and do it from a wash, rinse, repeat predictability standpoint. Marketing, as I mentioned before, and attracting patients is critically important in this. So we'll have a uh, a marketing agency um, that we work with um, here at Polaris called SMC National. Join us for um, uh, this particular class. They're unbelievably good at data and analytics when it comes to marketing endeavors. Uh, And we'll also teach you how to build a budget and a pro forma so that you create an equity break-even number within the first 12 months. That, my friends, is executing at a really high level 
And if you're familiar with groups like DECA Dental and Pacific Dental, some of the others that grow um, or have grown predominantly through uh, the de novo strategy, these are enterprise level groups um, that execute the de novo strategy at an incredibly high level. We're going to teach you some of the ways to think through that and to solve for that equity break-even piece. That is critically important if you're going to continue to access debt funds to grow. So like I say, we're super excited about this course, and I really feel like it's going to be one that'll be a game changer. And, and candidly, I hope that it attracts more people into the de novo type strategy because we feel like it has a lot of merit. You know, Beyond that, we've got our uh, larger footprint event in Fort Lauderdale, March 30th through April 1st. We're calling that a pinnacle event. Um, probably uh, somewhere between 50 and 75 people going to be in the audience for that. And it's going to be the theme of it's going to be scaling from clinician to CEO. Uh, most of the groups we work with, uh, the founder is still working himself or herself out of the chair from a clinical context. That is one of the biggest challenges of, of launching a, a group while you're still a, um, a key economic engine in, in the business. Uh, and the challenges along the way uh, that we see most people encounter. So we're going to go through getting your legal structure straight uh, to facilitate growth and scale. We're going to talk about accounting both from a DSO reporting standpoint and from a cap table management equity standpoint. There's going to be a component on market again, uh, marketing again with SMC National and Gary Bird will be there in person to share uh, some of that. We'll talk about some founders' journeys of the businesses they built and a couple that have exited along the way. Uh, and suffice to say, we'll dig in pretty uh, thoroughly on growth strategy, buy or build um, over those two days together as well. So uh, I hope you're um, uh, considering joining us for either a masterclass or the Pinnacle event. Happy to answer any questions if you've got them on either one of those. And I think the educational format um, and uh, the, the take-home piece in either aspect is going to be uh, tremendous. One last thing I'll say on the Pinnacle event is that we are taking no sponsorships for that. Um, most larger format uh, uh, events take a lot of sponsorship dollars um, from third-party vendors, and they put them on stage to talk about whatever they do and have a, an exhibit hall and all that kind of stuff. We're not doing any of that in Florida. The third parties that we have asked to join us on stage are people we know and trust and can haul the mail and deliver the solutions that you expect, but they're not there because they're paying us. So uh, we think that the content you're going to receive will be pure, unadulterated, very educational, and our intent is to, to give you multiple things to uh, head back home with to solve in your very own business. So like I say, I hope you can, uh, can join us in Florida for the Pinnacle event, um, March 30th through April 1st scaling from clinician to CEO, or for any of the master classes, February 17th and 18th for mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations, or the de novo execution masterclass on March 10th and 11th here in Charlotte. A lot of good stuff coming up. We've got a huge educational strategy um, that's playing out uh, very quickly, honestly, in 2022, and you'll have multiple ways to access that. So. Thanks again uh, for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate all the great feedback we get from the audience and the nice compliments and comments and everything. And if you feel like you're getting a lot of uh, worthy information out of it, I encourage you to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us with the show. And if you've got questions, feel free to submit them to me directly at Perrin 
at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for uh, being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.